Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, babies. All season long, I've been getting these hilarious tweets about how much you love our theme song, and I love it so much, too. So I asked a few fancy pants composers here at WNYC to take a break from listening to Beethoven or Mozart and remix our fancy-ass song. Here's a little titillation for you. So many. So white. So, so many. Damn. So many white guys. Now, I've asked you to help me pick the winner. Yeah, that's you. I'm talking about you. You're listening to me right now. That you. The remix with the most votes will be our official theme music for our token white guy episode. So go to so manywhiteguys.com slash vote. Remember the so has three O's in it to hear all of them now and pick your fave. So many white guys. I go hard. I go hard. I'm a star. I'm a star. Twirl on them haters. Albino alligators. Hello, Joanna. <laughs> oh hi i just you were silent i'm like uh hello formation <laughs> um hold on i'm checking my verified followers on twitter <laughs> all right hold on to your britches <clears throat> kidding of course no you weren't you're dead serious Guys, so white. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. So many white guys. So many white guys. <laughs> Welcome to so many white guys. I'm Phoebe Robinson, and y'all, it's getting a little cooler out. I mean, it's hinting at fall. And if this show was called So Many White Girls, I'd be talking about pumpkin spice lattes. Hey, watch out, Jay Leno. I got your monologue jokes. All right, but for real, for real, I do love a latte. What about you, JoJo? You up on those? I'm lactose intolerant, so no. True, 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 true. So no. Um, I, I drink iced coffee year-round, which people say makes me a hard ass. I don't think anyone's ever said that. Just let me have this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I don't do the lattes thing, but I have to say, like, fall is my favorite season. Me and too. I love Halloween. Mm, okay. Is there, like, do you like the, the Halloween parade? Do you like wearing the saucy outfits? Like, what I about? don't do saucy. I do, like, ugly. Wait, but what about you? Do you, do you like Halloween? I mean, it's fine. I just am like, everyone's like, oh, this is my chance to, like, dress like a hoe. And it's like, just do it year-round. Like, I don't need an excuse. If I want to show some butt cheek, I'm just going to do it on, like, fucking March 17th. St. Patrick's Day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? So yeah. I feel like the whole ritual of it. But also, like, I w- will say this. I do want to... And one one year I want to do it with someone else where the person I uh, go with they dress as Prince and I dress as um, 
uh, Sheila E. Oh, uh, that's hot. Because I think that would be like a fun, like costumey, like thing. But like overall, Halloween just doesn't really melt my butter. Oh man, no, I love it. Last year, so last year I had the best idea for a costume, and I wanted to be Jamiroquai because <gasps> I thought it would be so funny for me to draw on like a little stubbly beard and wear a big hat. And yeah. then I started asking people. And, like, anyone under 27 has no idea who he is. Which is so upsetting because it's like Virtual Insanity literally is in the top 20 of music videos of all time. It's a great song. I mean, those notes that he hits. I know. And the crow. And the, the moving room. Oh, my God. Do you remember at, like, the VMAs when he, like, did that shit live? Yes. And everyone was like, yo. It was so good. It was so lit. So instead... Okay. So, oh, so not enough people knew who I was, and I was like, I'm going to look and feel too weird. Right. In this costume if people don't know who I am. So I decided to be Mary Tyler Moore from the Mary Tyler Moore show, and I got, like, a long brunette wig and was wearing, like, a long 70s dress, and then people kept asking me if I was dressed up as an Orthodox woman, which is both... Which is both, like, not the look I'm going for and also offensive. <laughs> oh, gee. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you did not get laid that night. Actually. <laughs> Wait, what, bitch? I ended up making out with a guy who was dressed up as the dad from the Adams Family. So it was, like, an Orthodox <laughs> woman and the dad from the Adams Family. It was fucking, like, Raul Julia lookalike. <laughs> yeah, totally. Hysterical. <laughs> Hysterical. I That's feel- amazing. <laughs> I I feel so bad for our engineer right now. I'm sorry, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking for this Halloween, I kind of want to be Elaine from Seinfeld. Oh my God, Joan, that's really cute. Thank you. I think I could actually make myself look a lot like her. That would be so hot. Yes. I love that. But again, I think people would just think I'm an Orthodox woman. <laughs> they totally will. <laughs> what if you go as Elaine, I go as Newman? Hello, Newman. I would love that so much. <laughs> that would be so great. That would be so funny. I would, like, what would you even do with your hair? I don't I don't know. I have to, like, buy a wig, I guess. You have to buy, like, a little wig, and then you also have to, like, buy a postman outfit. Oh, my God, I'm so into this Isn't idea. that fun? I love it so But am much. I cock-blocking myself with that? Like, no guy's going to be like, <laughs> look at that girl in that Newman outfit. That's part of the reason why I didn't want to be Jamiroquai. <laughs> Would I be making out with the father of the Adams family if I was wearing a giant hat? I think not. What up, booze? Today, I am talking to one of the stars of the ABC hit comedy Fresh Off the Boat, Guess who I'm talking to? You don't have to because I'm going to tell you. It's Constance Wu. She's in a great web series called Eastsiders that's now on Netflix. She has a cute-ass bunny she's always posting pics of on the gram. And she's extremely good-looking, but more importantly, she's super smart and has been schooling people on how to be outspoken about issues of race. She's a boss. Hey, Phoebe. Yes, Joanna. Speaking of being outspoken, Mm -hmm. let's let our sponsors get a word. Shall we? That segue was boo boo. (laughs) Boo, get out of here. (laughs) But okay. But speaking of. Yes, let's do it. I I will not object this one time. I'm going to be an easygoing talent. You should be because they pay you. 
Oh, right. Thanks so much for that, guys. Yo, 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 we're back. And I hope you're strapped in and ready for this interview. Constance Wu has been killing it as Jessica Wang on Fresh Off the Boat. If you haven't seen this show yet, she's this tough love immigrant mom who just wants the best for her kids, but is also super hard on them. Oh, how you like the Shalom Bao I pack you? It was really good. Liar. I did not pack Shalom Bao! I need white people lunch. Constance Wu has literally been killing it everywhere. She's killing it on TV. She's killing it in interviews. You know what? I'm going to stop bragging and just let you listen for yourself. Prepare to be amazed. That's amazed. But amazed sounds amazing. We're talking around the show, but I should say officially congrats on season three of Fresh Off the Boat. That's really exciting. And uh, thank you. You know, when that happens with a TV show, you're like, oh, okay, I'm set now. That's like Hall of Fame. We're good. We're going to have a run for a while. Is that how you are? That's not how I feel. <laughs> I certainly am not under the, the idea of, oh, I'm set now. Like, I think I'm more run on, like, a constant level of paranoia. Well, so. <laughs> like, you could feel settled in a way that I feel like when you're in season one of a show, it's very much like, oh, fingers crossed, I hope we get a second season. You know what I mean? So I feel like right. now it's yeah, probably yeah, yeah. you're more confident in your, your status uh, with the show. Yeah. yeah. I'm more confident. You know, when I first started out— um, you know, a lot of the feedback was often like, oh, she's great, but we don't know if she knows how to carry a show. And I was always like, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you're a good actor or you're not. And after doing two full seasons, I, I understand what that means. And it's, it's a different skill. I mean, it's, it's a type of, Endurance, being able to carry a show for an entire season um, for any of the series regulars in terms of just, for me, even self-care, mm-hmm. um, navigating press, um, the, the way your life changes in public. I mean, those are things that are requirements of carrying a show. Um, and so I, I do feel confident in that regard. But that was, you know, I had to earn that through experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel very lucky and fortunate that they really took kind of a chance on me as somebody who had never done not only comedy but <laughs> network television. I know you talked about like you know struggling in the business, like being uh, deep in debt and like waitressing, and and I really identify with that because I started freelance comedy. I quit my day job in 2013. I switched over to just really paying my bills through that. Like, this year is finally the first year where I'm not worried every single month that I'm not going to be able to make rent and pay utilities. Um, And so I feel like I kind of bond with you in that way. So what were, like, some of your biggest concerns during, like, your periods where you were kind of struggling and you were just like, well, maybe I should just quit acting and do something else? Like, what were you most stressed about? When I thought too far into the future... (laughs) It stressed me out. It's not a profession in which there is a clear-cut path mm-hmm. to stability. 
to success or even stability, which, you know, also led to some really destructive behavior, which was sort of like, oh, well, I can't really afford to go out and have dinner with my friends, but I got a credit card. And I'm just thinking about now, and I'm hungry, and I want to hang out, so I'm going to do it. And then, you know, fast forward, and you're in tons of debt, and it's really, like, not great. But also, when you're young, it's the time to do it because (laughs) you don't have (laughs) obligations. You know, you don't have huge – like, you don't have a kid, you know. But, I mean, with the whole debt thing, I I do think it's good to talk about because it's so linked to shame. Mm -hmm. I'm okay saying that I was, like, irresponsible with my money because I don't think it makes me a bad person. I think it just makes me a human person. I'm still not great with it, Yeah, be really honest. (laughs) Um, I'm learning. learning. I mean, my dad, I'm going to, like, my dad is, like, trying to help me out with that stuff because it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, can't I just dump it in a savings account and then it's like you don't get enough interest and I'm already like okay I'm out bye that was too much information yeah <laughs> that's what I did I did I put everything in a savings account and and my friends and family are like Constance is kind of dumb you should do like xyz and the xyz is so foreign to me that I'm kind of like I, it just shuts me off yeah. um, <laughs> but uh you know I have I, I I know myself well enough to know that when something's intimidating to me my first response is going to be to kind of shut off from it but then I'll slowly start learning little by little um, and you know figure it out so maybe in five years time <laughs> I will have like figured something out god damn when did you start acting um, I started, I think, when I was in maybe fifth grade. I remember a, 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 one of my girlfriends from school was auditioning for A Little Princess, and I wanted to audition too. And so we both did, and I got I got a part, and she didn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was no. like very scandalous. But um, <laughs> yeah, and even back then, I was playing the best friend. Mm, so, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and then I was always doing a, a play. Until I went to um, drama school, got my BFA in theater, and then became a waitress. Yeah. <laughs> Union Square Coffee Shop was my first waitressing job. I love coffee shop. <laughs> I love I know, that it's place. Funny. Gosh. I sometimes wonder about the girls that I worked with there and, like, what they're up to. Because now it's been, like, over a decade since um, since I worked there, so – that's, That's so cool. I, yeah, because I, the, what's funny about that place is like during the day, it's like pretty chill and it's like whatever. And if you go there at night for dinner, it's literally everyone's a supermodel who works there. And <laughs> they're all like really late with your water. And you're like, okay, I don't need to, I don't need to stay hydrated. Sure. Cause oh, you're it's gorgeous. The worst service you know what ever. I mean? It's so yeah. bad. But you go no. back cause you're like, you're around, surrounded by beautiful people. So you're like, this is, this is New York. That's what New York is, is being surrounded by people way hotter than you. And they kind of treat <laughs> you like garbage. And you're like, that's great. Um, and it's also 24 hours. Yeah. So it's kind of like after you're like, finished at the bar or the club or whatever and you still want to like do something you can go get some cheese bread at union square coffee shop you know yeah exactly (laughs) i didn't know that you can sing so when i started watching fresh off the boat when it came out and there was that episode (laughs) of you singing whitney houston i was like yo (laughs) she's got some pipes thanks if i should stay 
I would only be in your way. You um, you used to be a singer at King's Dominion. Oh my God! Yeah, how, how yes. long you did that? I was like seventeen, mm-hmm. I think, and I spent a summer doing a show that they called Pop Forty, um, and. Uh, yeah, we just did like four or five shows a day. Wow. Um, yeah, I remember one of the songs we did was, was it My Love Don't Cost a Thing by J-Lo? <gasps> oh, my <laughs> Such God. a good song. That's like my favorite J-Lo song. <laughs> if you wanted to sing that right now, I would literally just die and just go oh, up no, to heaven. Oh, no, I not. <laughs> That, that was so that cool. was a cool job. I mean, yeah. it was it was just three girls, and then between the three of us, we had um, we each sang you know a few different songs or were backup for other songs. Um, yeah, I mean, it it didn't pay very much, but it was cool to to be a teenager and to be getting paid to sing. <laughs> That's and King's Dominion was like a was it like a theme park? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a that is like sort of the big theme park in the state of Virginia. That and Bush Gardens, which is a couple hours south of Richmond. That's so cool. My love don't cost a thing. What you've been doing, speaking out in press, I think is so smart and much needed. It made me become even a bigger fan of you because you're you're not afraid to say what you're thinking and, and like not just carry on bullshit, which I really, really appreciate. I mean, there's we're never going to have a utopia where everybody has a semblance of intelligence, right? I know a lot of the people who say shit on my Instagram um, when I post a picture of me and my boyfriend, a lot of them are Asian males who mm. talk about how, you know, Asian women, those are our women, and you're not even, like, as if they have ownership of us. Yeah. Um, which is disgusting, mm-hmm. and it's not true. But, I mean, if you look at, you know, the systems in place in terms of, and I've only recently started thinking about this because it's not my experience, mm-hmm. Asian American men have been consistently emasculated in um, American white media and how that must affect their daily lives and how sometimes when something hurts you in your daily life, you can either redirect it to become a better, more humble person, or you can also redirect it to become very spiteful. And your spite needs a target. And that target might be somebody who you feel like has, you know, made you feel less masculine or something like that. But that's not a fault of the target. It's a fault of a repetitive system that, you know, hasn't really fostered your stories to make you feel capable. I mean, this is a lot of mental gymnastics I have to do in my own head in order to not react personally in a way that I think is undignified for myself. Yeah, it's really... Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really hard, and I, I'm I'm glad that you're able to kind of 
ignore those comments and not let them bog you down mentally and take you to a dark place because that's oh, you know uh, what I mean don't get me wrong they do get me to a dark place mm. sometimes I'm mm-hmm. I'm a normal person who has an ego and vanity and like no, like normal people wants to be liked uh, make no mistake I mean it's still I still get hurt one more thing about interracial relationships because I've been in a couple sure. for the most part people are like pretty like chill about it, like fairly nice about it on social media. But there's this mm-hmm. one night I got this message. There's this black guy who was like berating me for dating a white guy and being like, I was going to friend request you. Then I saw your boyfriend's white and you're sleeping with the devil and you obviously <laughs> have a small brain and what is uh. wrong with you? You clearly don't love yourself. And it was just this just all this vitriol that was thrown my way. And I was like, this mm. this can't be about me. And I think what annoyed this guy a lot is because he sees how outspoken I am about race issues, mm-hmm. um, just like you are. And I feel like sometimes when you are outspoken about that kind of stuff, people then assume that if you're woke, that means you're extremely militant. So then they can't like they can't process that you would be attracted to anyone outside your race mm-hmm. or that you're just open to loving anyone. Do you find that to be the the case with you and how people react to you being in an interracial relationship? I, for sure. And, you know, I'm not going to be so proud as to say that I don't think that their arguments don't have a little bit of merit, you know, as a person who reads about this kind of stuff. I mean, it is a fact that, you know, I grew up in a culture that shows that the positions of power and the positions of attractiveness are typically seen in media, not in truth, but in media, Mm -hmm. as a white man. Now, whether or not this influences my personal affections, it could be something that influences it, and it could not. What I'm trying to do is just try to live best with how my heart feels and have an awareness of these arguments. I don't know if that makes sense. No, absolutely, because you feel a sense of responsibility. Yeah. But you also, you know, like, obviously, it would be great if I got married to a black guy. We have, you know, like, black love and, like, all that stuff. That's amazing. (laughs) But if that doesn't happen and I end up marrying someone outside of my race, I think... I don't think it should be – I don't think I should ever be made to feel like, uh uh-oh, like I failed in some way. And I think a lot of times that's what happens with people like us. They make us feel like, oh, you you didn't do everything right because of that one thing. This is why I think, you know, media representation is so important because it does inform us implicitly and explicitly when mm-hmm. we're young. I mean, like, something as simple as, the like, the idea that uh, a woman shouldn't have a hairy armpit, for example. Mm-hmm. There's no actual, like, health or factual evidence behind why, scientifically, a woman should not have that. But we grew up with it culturally as being the norm, so much so that, you know, when we see a, a hairy armpit or me, like— the first response is to think it's unattractive mm-hmm. when it actually isn't. Absolutely. I remember when I was in middle school and my mom, she, my, I, I'm kind of a hairy person, so I just started getting leg hair pretty early on. And mm. my mom was like, "You're, I'm not allowing you to shave your legs. And I was like, oh. but I want to fit in. I want to fit in. And it's just like, 
you know, looking at that now, it's like, no, my mom was totally right to like, just let me be a kid and not worry about like having to fit within that beauty standard. But in middle school, that was, that angered me so much that she wouldn't let me shake my legs. You almost sound like you had a Chinese mom. (laughs) I mean, I know with my mom, like I wasn't allowed to shave. I wasn't allowed to wear nail polish. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to pierce my ears. Mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to read 17 magazine even though I really wanted to um, it was all like stop worrying so much about how you look and I was so mad as a kid but I think my mom was kind of right she was teaching me what to, to build my worth and my value not on my physical appearance but on you know my brain and my activities and things like that so you know in retrospect yeah our, our, our moms are right and they should probably hang out at some <laughs> point and be like see we told you guys so. Okay, I know we got to get out of here, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the whole blackface, yellow face thing right. you talked about in regards to Scarlett Johansson and that movie Ghost in the Shell. Because I absolutely loved what you said, <laughs> and I completely agree with you. Do you want to give a little background on what happened there for the people who don't know about this whole issue yet? It actually originally came out of a panel discussion I was doing um, and then there were – I didn't even know there were press outlets at this panel. And then it sort of blew up into something that I wasn't anticipating. So this was – this whole discussion I did not know was even going to happen. It was not prepped. So what happened was we were talking about how they ran CGI testing on Scarlett Johansson's face to change her face to give her more Asian features um, in order, in a way to sort of maybe placate people who were worried that they didn't get an Asian actress for her part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it blew up into a big thing because I used the term blackface, and I think some people thought I was saying that her casting, like the act of giving her the part, was blackface, which I, I did not say. Right. And I, I, I think if I remember correctly, I said, you know, this is yellowface, and um, what they're doing with the CGI testing of changing her face, it's like the practice of blackface but employed on Asians. And I use the word blackface because it is more evocative. Mm-hmm. I, I used it because people don't understand what yellow face means. Um, and I, I kind of think my point was proven because people have been talking about that for weeks. And until I said that, nobody really paid attention, mm-hmm. um, which is another case of like Asian invisibility in media. Like uh, our problems are not as important or something. Absolutely. Um, but I, But I'm very aware of why there is sensitivity surrounding the use of these terms. And I'm Definitely am not into the idea of any type of oppression Olympics because uh, that's just another systemic way of hurting us all. So, But I, I do think when you digitally change somebody's face to make them look Asian. It's um, super fucked up. It's, yeah. ins- it's better if they didn't even do it and just like, you know what, we're going full on white for this character mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing. But to like sort of like throw us a bone and be like, oh, well, maybe if we like make her eyes a little more slanty, are you guys okay with that? I mean, that's even worse. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. And there yeah. is this element of like, obviously you can't do a show in blackface or anything like that because that's like 
not I think we all can pretty much agree that that's not okay even though every Halloween I see people walking around in New York in blackface and I have to like not do you? Crush. Oh yeah, I've like oh yeah, absolutely. Like no one cares. Like people are like, it's just a, it's an honor of like Kanye West, and it's like, but you don't have to paint your skin. You yeah. don't have to do it. Um, but I feel like with yellow face, there is this element of maybe it's because Asians are considered the model minority, or there's just this kind of like, oh, who cares? It's like not a big deal. It's not offensive. It's just mind boggling that that is like people aren't outraged by it yeah it's like our culture turns into a decoration rather than something that has very human roots you can't boil down our experience to the Mm. way we look that's and 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 you can't then use it as a decorative or fun kind of thing um you know with the i didn't know people still did costumes like that but i i actually got in a not a fight but a huge discussion with um the showrunner of our show during the Mm. halloween episode where like um lewis dresses up as mr t (laughs) (laughs) and i was like i don't know if this is cool like and they're like well he's not gonna be wearing blackface he's just gonna have a mohawk and he's gonna have like the chains and all that kind of thing a mohawk is just a mohawk and because i really believe in like really doing your research before you're reactive Mm -hmm. about something i like went and i looked up all these clips of mr t and i found out i found some where he's talking about how his hairstyle is not just a mohawk it's a tribute to his african mandico roots and it's not just a style and i was like i sent that (laughs) i was like (laughs) i actually don't think it is that like i don't I, I don't want to step on any toes. I'm not a showrunner. Like, I know how incredibly hard it is. And I I think our team does an awesome job. But I, I want to just, like, you know, be careful about these things. And I was like, well, at least we should say something. And, you know, she heard me and they wrote an extra line in there where where one of the kids is like, you know, it's not just a costume. Mr. T said, you know, this stuff. And it was like a nice little moment that said, like, hey, this thing that you think is just like a decoration or a hairstyle, it's not, you know, mm-hmm. that matters to me. And so, you know, I'm glad when people call call me out on it because I look into it. And I'm not always right, obviously. And, and when I'm not right, I learn things. And so I'm really glad about that. Well, you Being that story <laughs> just makes me love you even more. It <laughs> makes me love Fresh Off the Boat even more. I'm so excited for season three to come out. Um, thank, thank you so you. much for joining me today, Constance. You were an absolute delight. I really enjoyed thank our conversation. You. It was so nice talking to you. Another interview in the can. That's industry speak for Dunzo, which is also industry speak for Dun. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I've been reading so much about Constance and like sharing all her interviews on my Facebook page. So to finally like talk with her and connect, it was so like enlightening and fulfilling and I was just so happy. Yeah, it was great. Um, now I'm going to be the opposite of enlightening and fulfilling and say, can you please do the credits? Joanna, you know what? I feel like you're like Jerry Orbach and Dirty Dancing. Is that the dad? That's the dad. 
Oh, have you not seen Dirty Dancing? No, I've seen Dirty Dancing. Okay, so how, who else would Jerry Orbach be in that movie? Okay, so right now I guess I have to say, <laughs> nobody puts baby in the corner. Can you please read the credits? <laughs> but you're like Jerry Orbach. Give hey, me a- you know what? You're so good at saying these real-life names of these actors. Maybe you can do that for the people who work on this show. Ooh, I saw oh. what you did. I saw what you did. Okay, let's do it. The So Many White Guys team includes Daisy Rosario, Rachel Neal, Joanna Solitaroff, Paula Schumann, Jen Poyant, James Ramsey, Alex Overington, Rick Kwan, Dara Hirsch, Merritt Jacob, and Shanoa Estrada. Friday, 1.24 p.m. Hey, Phoebe, it's Alana. Please call me when you get this. Um, yes. Okay, talk to you soon. Good to see you. Please call me soon, mate. I'll text you. End of message. Hey, babies! I know I'm supposed to let you go, but I have one more thing, and this is a pretty cool announcement. So, as most of you know, I have a book coming out on October 4th called You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain. Uh, Of course you know because I've talked about it 10 billion times. But, okay, this is like the big—this is like the most important time that I've talked about it because— I've announced my tour today, baby. That's right. I'm doing a book tour. This is my very first book tour. I'm going to, like, so many places. I'm going to Malaysia. I'm going to, you know, Marrakesh. Okay, just kidding. I'm going to Cleveland, Ohio, and, like, Chicago, New York, L.A., San Fran, Portland, Seattle. There's a whole bunch of other places I'm going to. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be so much fun, and I want to see all your beautiful, lovely faces. So... Here's the deal. You can go to my website, which I got ready just for this particular thing. Like, I worked so hard on making this website, like, not as ignorant as it could have been. So I really want you guys to go there to www.phoebirobinson.com. And just in case, because a lot of people don't know how to spell my name, even though they're super confident that they do know how to spell my name, trust me, you don't. So it's P as in Paul, H-O-E, B as in boy, E, Robinson.com. And it has all my details on my book tour. You can also pre-order my book on the website. You can also, I don't know, email my manager if you want to. She probably won't respond if it's a stupid request, but email her. She knows great. Um, so go to PhoebeRobinson.com. And uh, you guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate all the love. And I hope to see you out on my tour. Okay, love you, mean it. YQY.